especially because of the success of the second album, did you, this might sound weird a bit, but did you feel like you've escaped in, in a way when you were 16 and you had this vision of, oh, we're going to be rock stars? And did, did you feel like you've arrived in a way? Uh, I don't, I, I think for me it was less of a triumph and it was escaping. Okay. I did feel like I ran and ran and ran and ran and didn't stop running. You know what? Uh, I came across one of those articles, you know, and unlike CNN or some shit the other day, and it was one of those like kind of heartwarming, like doctors said he'd never walk again. Today he's running the Boston Marathon. <laughs> Whenever I read something that like that, I think like, okay, good, good for this guy. He he's like had a miracle recovery, but don't you feel like a little bit bad for the doctors? Oh yeah, they 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 just they come across as the assholes in this story, and they're I, just doing their job. Right. I just I didn't I wanted to let him down gently. I wanted to make sure he knew what he was in for in most scenarios for they, most people. They're just doing their professional yep. assessment. They you know have a, a sophisticated depth of medical knowledge, and they're going off of probability. Like they're not gonna give this guy false hope. How how are they supposed to know that he's got this like fucking warrior personality that's gonna rise above all right. uh, obstacles in in this fucking? I Disney feel like fashion. too they're being misquoted. You know, like what if the doctor yeah. came in and he said like ninety nine out of a hundred people won't walk again? Yeah, he wasn't technically telling the guy that he's not gonna walk again. Yeah, it's like it's just you know they doctors they never say anything definitive. It's all probability. Yep. But, you know, maybe the guy just needed that enemy in his head. It's like fuck you, Doctor Stein. Yeah. So <laughs> actually, you're onto something. Maybe the doctor that is being maligned in that article is the actual reason this man is yeah, walking. Maybe if he hadn't have been so negative, this guy would have just uh, just given up and uh, never run a marathon again. Yep. And then uh, we wouldn't have raised $10 for lymphoma that year. Yeah, I can see. I'm kind of like that sometimes. If someone phrases something I don't want to do is like, I bet you couldn't do it. Yeah. All of a sudden, I'm like, well, just fuck. watch me. Yeah, bitch. now I have to. All right. Well, I hope all of you have your Dr. Stein out there. <laughs> Welcome to Polishing Turds with Nick and Cal. My name is Nick. And I'm Cal. And this is the show where we take a deep dive into the wonderful world. The wonderful world of bad music and today of course we are concluding our two-part series on the twin terrors of pop punk known as good charlotte all right cal we uh, talked about these guys it was actually just about two days ago <laughs> we were we did it something we don't usually do we we're recording these uh, episodes back to back but is there anything that like was just kind of sitting with you weird from the last episode Any, anything that you just like still need to get off your chest about these guys honestly no i i, I find them so bland that mm -hmm. i'm having trouble coming up with anything like i don't know we've covered like morons we've covered hard workers we've covered like just really interesting personalities and these are just kind of normal dudes that got big <laughs> and the the music is just average enough that i'm just having trouble coming up with anything 
I wanted to hate them more. Let's say that. I wanted to hate them more. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually surprised by how little I hate them. Like, maybe it's because I got all of it out of my system earlier. And I think, as I said in the first episode, I think our bar has just been so significantly lowered <laughs> doing this show that, you know, now that now the time we finally got around to pop punk, we're like, this isn't that bad. Once you hear uh, psychosexual, like that, yeah. by that like five finger death punch drummer, like you just like re-listen to everything you've ever heard before. You've, you've had a, it changes your conception of what bad music can be. Yep. I think what I'm enjoying about the series so far more than the band themselves is just kind of, it's given me some nostalgia going yes. back and, and, and thinking about how I used to view this as so evil and mm-hmm. realizing like, it's really not, it, it offended me specifically at the time. You know, these guys, you know, they really paved the way for guys like Machine Gun Kelly to do pop punk in the most superficial way possible while also like appropriating like hip hop tropes in weird ways. Like mm-hmm. we haven't talked about that as much with Good Charlotte, but there's all these songs where like one of the guys is in the background going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or yeah. Something like that. The first album in particular is egregious with it. Every yeah. single line of the verse of Little Things Someone is in the back saying something. Like when he's like, we had to ride the bus. You hear a guy go, 55. Like that was a bus number or something. That is, that's straight out of early hip hop. And yeah, well, that's, yeah. And that's what, you know, these guys became artists because they saw the Beastie Boys in concert, but they never had the balls to go full right. Fred Durst about it. So like, they just kind of stuck with that, like rancid formula and, you know, God bless their hearts. It worked out for them. It is um, interesting to me that I don't think they grinded as long as some of our other artists. Not quite. I mean, there was there was a bit of a grind, but it was only like three or four years at most. Yeah, so longer than Avril, far shorter than Billy. Yeah. I, I still put them on the lucky end of the spectrum, considering how many great artists never get discovered at all. Yes. That these these schmoes made it in three years is kind of crazy. I, I would agree with you, Cal. I think uh, they did, they did get lucky and they, they may have just hit it off at the exact right time for this type of music. All right. So here's how I kind of want to start off today. One of the most difficult things for any band to do is to turn sudden fame into lasting career success. You know, even the most talented artists faced ruthless competition, changing musical tastes, and the fickle attention spans of both consumers and the media. Very rare are the ones who can actually establish a long, respectable career. You know, like your Rolling Stones, your Pearl Jams, even Miley Cyrus, really. Yep. Like, I don't know, any, any, anyone else like that come to mind for you, Cal? Uh, just tons of metal, as always. Yeah. But yeah, I think any anything over, like, five solid albums... That's mm-hmm. a long career to me. Yeah. That's, you, you've made it to the long haul. Yeah. It's very, it's very tough to even think of many bands that have done that. Is there anything you think they all have in common? Genuine musical talent. Yeah. And a, an innate sense of the market and then the true ability to change themselves. They not ch- in a way that's believable and viable and natural. Like change themselves, but maybe not too much. Yeah. There's a core, there's a core brand to it. Mm hmm. And it can't be also, it can't be some gimmick, you know? Yeah. I think that's the thing is they're not operating on a gimmick. They're doing something they really believe in and and is from them. Like Metallica was able to go with, you know, with the Black Album, pivot to like something that was more pop, something was more radio friendly, but not too much of a departure that it just completely alienated everybody. Yeah, totally. 
Now on the opposite side of that spectrum, you've got bands that just completely flame out in embarrassing fashion. You know, your Vanilla Ices, your Crazy Towns, your Millie Vanilli. Those are the ones that maybe are more fun to yes. talk about. Um, but, you know, like what like what do these bands have in common? A gimmick. I mean, they. I look at them more as like a surfer that caught a good wave. Mm-hmm. You know, and the bands we just discussed earlier are more like a motorized boat. Like, <laughs> yeah. like they are just more equipped to keep going. And then these bands were right place, right time, enough talent to pull it off, but not a genuine musical artist talent, if if that makes sense. Like not that like lacking in the fundamentals. Yeah, it's they're not they don't have like the musical genius of like a Bob Dylan. Yeah, <laughs> they, they're clearly just uh in the right place at the right time, and you can't maintain that. Yeah. Yeah, they met the right A&R guy at the right bar in Tampa, Florida or something. And yet there is still another category to all this, uh, one that's less sexy, but probably the most common of all. These are the bands that just kind of barely hang on. They'll slowly shed their casual audience and even their core audience over time, but not in a way that's embarrassing enough for anybody to notice or care. They're kind of like a sports team that doesn't ever win enough games to make the playoffs, but doesn't lose enough to get a good draft pick at the end. Yep, that's a great analogy. And you mentioned Metallica earlier as an example of long, respectable career. Mm-hmm. So that's if that's Metallica, Megadeth is this category. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're, they're still around. He's still making albums, and some people care. Yeah. Not me. <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm sure if you looked at the sales charts, you know, from, uh, let's let's say... Uh, rust and peace yeah, onwards. Like countdown, it's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's just steady been a decline bit, forever. A little yep. bit of a steady decline, and uh, that I will argue is uh, a category that I think Good Charlotte falls into, and I want to kind of study the latter half of their career from that perspective. So, from about 2004 onwards, this band slowly drifted into the margins, even as they, uh, to their credit, tried a few new ideas. Now, as we've already seen, the Madden brothers are smart and ambitious. They were perfectly prepared to play the Hollywood game, even if they pretended otherwise. Now, the question we'll have to ask ourselves along the way as we listen to each new album, each new iteration of Good Charlotte is, why did none of this work? I have my theories, but I'll save them for as we get into it. Can't fucking wait. All right, so let's get back to our main story. By 2004, Good Charlotte's career had blown up beyond their wildest expectations. They'd sold millions of records and had been on tour virtually nonstop for years. Now, in our last episode, we talked a bit about how one of Benji and Joel's strengths was writing relatable music that was true to life, things that ordinary kids could identify with. But how do you keep writing true-to-life lyrics when you become famous and your whole life is comprised of photo ops, overnight flights, and MTV promos. <laughs> yeah, that's the eternal problem with bands with lyrics like this and a look like this. Mm-hmm. And like, you can pick out so many examples of of like any type of band that you know they start off writing uh, songs about like work or love or like you know like ordinary shit, and then like by their fourth album, like all the songs are about like being on the road and mm-hmm. hotels and shit. So like this is a really common problem. I also think uh, a good example of this is Eminem. Yeah. Those early albums were so passionate and fiery, but once he was removed from the situation that caused all that source material. Yeah. Like, like it's now the- it's like he's sitting there going, what do I even have to rap about? And it got pretty weird and kind of bad. 
I know, like, it's like he never lost his talent as a rapper, but, like, it's so much more interesting me, to me when the subject matter is, like, him being poor and him getting into all those fucked up situations, being on drugs. Mm-hmm. And, like, you could be, be like, I could meet this guy. and That'd be really interesting. So to that point, I want to share with you guys a quote from Benji. He's talking about when the band was asked to record their third album. Kelly, you want to take this one? It's it's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I I don't have a Benji voice. I'm no, just, just gonna... yeah, just just do Cal voice. <laughs> All right, I remember that I had stayed in Japan for a week, and then the label said, "In two weeks, you're going in." I remember thinking that I didn't even know what we were gonna write about. We were just in this whirlwind bubble. He went on to say, "Quote: We were facing a lot of criticism from all sides. We didn't quite fit in with pop music. We didn't fit in with the genre that we came from." It was such a strange place to be. So we internalized it a lot, and I think it all just came out on the actual record. And the result of all this internalized pressure and insecurity was Good Charlotte's third album, The Chronicles of Life and Death. That's heavy. Very serious. Very serious, guys. Uh, This disc has a noticeably darker tone than its predecessors. I think you'll hear that in the lead single, Predictable. remember spider-man 3 i do not kind of random but there's a scene that became a huge meme where toby mcguire is embracing his his evil side because he got exposed to the venom mm-hmm. symbiote and he does this whole dance on the street he's dressed like an emo and he looks exactly <laughs> like joel in that video and it was so stupid it, it became a meme because like why is a 35 year old man dressing like this <laughs> and uh that was that music video except to take totally serious oh my god that's awesome I don't know if it's because like this is kind of the time where we're starting to shift towards emo being like a really huge thing. You know, maybe they're anticipating that, but like this this uh, music does feel like a lot more whiny yeah. <laughs> than they were previously. I I agree. And that's actually one of my theories on why none of this worked. I think his whiny tone it doesn't work past that those first two albums. No. And I don't really know why that is. Maybe we'll get into it. I think it, the age of the members is a primary factor and tastes just changing from when that was big. Well, one of the things I actually did like about their first two albums is that they did sound like they're having fun. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Lifestyles of the Rich and the Famous. Like, they really do sound like they're the guys standing outside the tent throwing rocks in. They're just a bunch of like stupid young semi punks that you might want to have a beer with. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't know if I want to cry on Joel's <laughs> shoulders or have him cry on mine. It's just like he doesn't embody that as completely as, you know, it's like someone like Robert Smith from The Cure, you know, which right. he's clearly trying to be. 
Although that song supposedly is about his dad, you know, and and the, the abandonment issues that I'm sure he still has. It, but it does feel like just like really your average like high school relationship song. Yeah. And I, I also think all the overproduction, the extra like strings and stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of that. There's a lot of more strings, yeah. piano, like keyboards, etc. And I don't think it helps. No. You know, again, if, if you're going to try and be either punk or pop, either one, it yeah. doesn't really fit in. Yeah, this is like kind of the point where they've really abandoned any pretense of being like an, an actual street punk band. Mm-hmm. And like, not that they had to stay like that forever, but... Um, to me, it, it, that that image just worked better than what they're trying to do at this point. Oh, there was also this other thing about this album. They did two different versions of the CD with two different uh, covers, uh, two different cover arts. And there was the life version and the death version. And each version had a different bonus track at the end. Oh, which is very clever, boys. I'm sure that like there are enough kids out there with mom's credit card that are going to yeah. insist on buying both. You got to have both if you want to complete the collection. <laughs> that is smart. Yeah. I think Blink-182 did the same thing. Yeah, take off it. your pants yeah. and jacket. Oh, yeah, We're all three different. That. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but the second single off this album is even more on the nose. Now, here's the thing, guys. On the one hand, I want to give good Charlotte credit for continuing to write songs that are an honest reflection of their daily experience. But on the other hand, when you listen to this next song in particular, it's hard to ignore the blatant irony that these guys are effectively complaining about being rich and famous. Check it out. This track is called I Just Want to Live. dog that caught the car or whatever the old saying is yeah you know yeah they wanted to be rich and famous so bad and they got there and now they don't like it yeah i, I mean and i'm sure that here's the thing like i'm not like really mad at them for that you know because i'm sure being famous would be really shitty of like oh yeah we like constantly having to worry about security or you know just all the all the little small bullshit things that you have to pay attention to that you never even thought about before mm-hmm. but the problem is that like they were ripping on these guys like a year ago. Yes. <laughs> so it's it's like anyone else I would buy them complaining about being famous but not these guys. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sorry and I know it's low hanging fruit to make fun of them for that but like they just they fucking teed themselves up for it. Yeah, I agree. 
So overall, I think The Chronicles of Life and Death isn't a great album, but it's fine. Like, it's, it's not offensively bad to me. And it did fine on the charts. It sold a million copies in the U.S., which is, albeit down from the three and a half million that Young and Hopeless did. However, though, even that might deserve an asterisk, as some of the singles from the Chronicles of Life and Death may have been artificially propped up by Sony. Hmm. All right, Cal, so we're going to get into a little bit of a side tangent here. This actually, we've, we've talked about this before. This rings a bell. Yeah, we've talked, well, we've talked about payola in general. Um, I think the first time we mentioned it was when Limp Biscuit had their payola thing where uh, Interscope was paying a, a DJ to play counterfeit a yep. bunch of times. Yep. This, like, so this is a, a 2005 scandal involving all of Sony and, like, just that on a much wider scale. So a little bit of background. In July of 2005, uh, Sony and their music partner BMG were fined $10 million by the New York Attorney General's office, basically for bribing radio stations and DJs to play certain songs. Those fiends. I know. And like, this is the type of shit that probably happens all the goddamn time. Yeah. This but, is just the one we're hearing about. But like, yeah, they got caught doing it. I, it has to. I, I can't imagine having this discussion if you're like a, a guy who works for Sony. <laughs> yeah. If it's not industry standard, what are you going to pull a guy saying, okay, I'll pay you. You know, like, no, this is happening all the time. It's probably normalized. Like there, there are like tons of guys that make six figure salaries just to try to promote their music. And about 10 guys under him that are like chomping at the bit for that job. Like, yep. aren't you, it's just like, like being in politics or anything else. Aren't you going to like do everything you possibly can to fulfill your one baseline objective. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, a lot of this, some, sometimes it was just like outright payments to DJs, but more often it was like a lot of like veiled gifts. They would like just send a DJ, like a flat screen TV or some shit, or they held these contests that were supposedly open to the public. Like you can <laughs> win a, win a VIP tour with good Charlotte or something like that. Just like McDonald's monopoly. <laughs> yeah. I'm but... not even joking for all of you who don't remember <laughs> that did turn out to be McDonald's employees were winning a vast ma- high up employees. We're winning a vast majority of those contests. Exactly. This is the exact same shit. Only, you know, in, instead of uh, instead of getting free, like whatever the hell month of ice yeah. cream, they're they're do they're getting all these like little like vacations and gifts, and the radio station employees are the only ones that win them. Yep. So among the artists um, that Sony illegally paid to promote were Jessica Simpson, Audio Slave, Franz Ferdinand. Good Charlotte and our old friend Avril Lavigne. I think that's what I was thinking of. Yeah, I think we mentioned it back in that. I think series. I, I, I vaguely remember that, but she was being uh, she was being pushed by by Sony. Yep. So you know, not to not that like Good Charlotte is or, or evil for that, but like it's just it's just interesting and worth mentioning. Yep. Now, meanwhile, Joel and Benji themselves were undeniably soaking up the lifestyle of the rich and famous. They launched a clothing line called Made, which they later renamed DCMA. I'm not going to be pretend to be like an expert on like fashion or anything, but it seems to be just like one of those par for the course things that so many celebrities do when they become famous. They everybody wants to launch a clothing line for some reason. I think it's the same as like why George Lucas knew the Star Wars toys were going to be more profitable <laughs> than the movie itself. 
Yeah. If you if you're Joel and Benji, you might be sensing, you might be looking at your album sales and sensing your time is coming to an end here. Yeah. But if you have a clothing line that's successful, it's all about the merch, yep, baby. That's a money machine that lasts. All about the merch. <laughs> and then there was another particularly shady episode when Joel Madden began dating teen pop star Hillary Duff when he was 25 and she was d- just 16. Yeah. Bad boy, bad boy Joel. That's gross. <laughs> yeah, so um, I spent like half a day reading up on this thing specifically, and it's kind of weird how at the time nobody seemed to care. Like it was just a different world back then, I had then, never I heard of this until until I read the script. Yeah, me neither. They started out in 2004. They met through some, quote, mutual friend and were, quote, unquote, friends for three months before they began officially dating. And they managed to keep it secret for a while. But this was a real relationship. And <laughs> all I can figure in, and I'm not defending him or this. This is statutory rape. Yeah. But I, I can see like, you know, everyone says, what would a 25 year old have in common with a 16 year old? Mm-hmm. In this case, you're both famous. That is true. That is a they, thing. They and... do have a common point of interest that most people in the world don't have. They're both famous. They're both in music. You know, he's got that like kind of like hurt bad boy thing going on. And she is just a just a conventionally attractive uh, woman. Yeah. Now, all that said, what the fuck, man? (laughs) Yeah. You can't find anyone above 18 to to bond with here. No, this is really fucking shady. Here's a quote from Hillary Duff. She says, It was so all-encompassing. It was so intense. It was my life. It was like every minute of my day. It was pretty major. See, that starts to feel like she got groomed, you know? some I don't know. (laughs) Maybe the internet has ruined me with this stuff, but this whole thing skeeves me out. Yeah, and you know that like Joel is just thinking, like, check out who I'm banging. Right. I'm banging fucking Lizzie McGuire. How fucking cool is that, bro? (laughs) You know, not to get too, like, gross and into it, but, like, been implied that she lost her virginity to hit this guy sucks for her yeah uh you know i mean there's i'm sure there's a lot of female members of our audience that like wishes they could have (laughs) back with whatever whatever chad they (laughs) ended up i want to meet the person who's completely 100 percent happy with how their first experience went (laughs) i don't think there's many out there no And it's just, it's interesting to watch the media coverage of this affair at the time. Like, I watched one interview that Hillary Duff did on The View from like 2006 or something, where like they did ask her, like, you know, there is a pretty big age difference there. But like, then she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, but like he's really sweet and blah, blah, blah. And, and then they just gloss over and then they ask her about her album. God. And, you know, like, yeah, it's, and it's, it's frustrating. The problem, the problem is not the age difference to me. It's yeah. that she's fucking 16, bro. Yeah, no, she is She is underage, and Joel is lucky that he didn't end up, end up in a jumpsuit over this. Right. Dude, if someone has literally just started being able to drive a car, and you're old enough to be in a bar, you've mm-hmm. no business even interacting with them, in my opinion. Yeah, like, and this is the days before, like, the true dominance of TMZ and, and iPhones and shit, so this is probably, like, the last decade that he could have gotten away with something like this. Well, uh, glad we're digging up his old dirt. Yeah, now yeah. you all know. <laughs> yeah, canceling Joel Madden. <laughs> all right. So 
During the time that they were dating, Joel and Benji actually wrote and produced a few songs for Hilary Duff's 2005 album, Most Wanted. So let's hear one of those tracks. That song is so painfully generic. I wish I could say like, yeah, you can really hear some good Charlotte in there. Yeah. I don't I don't hear anything unique in there at all for any reason. <laughs> well, when I said that these guys are conventional pop songwriters and that pop rather than punk is their home base, this is kind of what I meant. Yeah. It's like, okay. you know, like they do have a sense for what pop music should sound like. And if they're, you know, if it's not if they're not doing it under the good Charlotte label, like they they're not afraid to like just go there. And I'm sure they made some money off of this, probably more than they made doing their last album. I'm surprised they didn't continue on that route, honestly. Because again, is if they notice pop punk fading, mm-hmm. why even be in a band called Good Charlotte anymore? You've got your ins with the industry now. Just start producing, start attaching yourself to other artists. Well, they actually did do this, you know, quite a bit. Not a ton like they never reached like Timbaland status or anything but they uh wrote and produced these songs under the name Dead Executives and they used that name uh, Dead Executives on on like a couple of different artists like okay. they this kind of became more of their thing over the years but they were very low key about it yeah well and that's what I was just describing that makes perfect sense to me yeah so um just, just live with that in your head that like uh, good Charlotte wrote shit for fucking Hillary Duff. Yeah. Now, uh, ultimately, uh, Joel and Hillary Duff broke up in 2006. And shortly thereafter, Joel started dating reality TV star Nicole Richie. Okay. Whom he eventually married and hey, is still married to to this day. Good. She's his age. Look how yeah. much better it worked out. Yeah. And it apparently did work out well because they're still married to each other. I have heard she's actually like, so all, all the world knows of her is that stupid simple life reality TV show that was existed for a while. Yeah. And And I've heard both her and Paris are far more reasonable people than the characters they played in that show. You would have to think so. Like just because give anybody a certain amount of wealth and education and socialization in society, like there's no way they're that bad. Yeah. You know? So I think, uh, the, the sh- that show, you know, along with like, what was the one with uh, like Jessica Simpson, you know? Oh, I, oh, fuck. With I don't Nick, Nick, the Nick name. and Jessica, was like Newlyweds. Was that what? Yeah, was that yeah, yeah, yeah. That show I've also heard like really was just very selectively edited and completely unfair to how she actually is and how 
intelligent she actually is in real life yeah but but that was like kind of the vibe back then is like we love to make fun of you know lifestyles the rich and famous like they 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 love to create this like celebrity bimbo character that we could all just kind of make fun of even though we're all making minimum wage and shit right and they're making money off of us doing it so who really won exactly yeah, so Joel married Nicole Richie, and Benji eventually married Cameron Diaz, whom Damn. he is still married to. So, uh, Holy shit. Yeah, so both these guys have fucking hot Hollywood wives somehow, which, like, yeah, I've got a picture on the screen in front of Cal. Like, look at what these guys look at look like I, today. It's, it's borderline <laughs> unexplainable. It's like, okay, they looked kind of cute back in the early days, but, like, Google uh, Joel and Benji Madden today. They look like the guys that work at the meat counter at Kroger, yeah. you know? Oh, yeah, it is. It's crazy. They, <laughs> like, they're a solid, like, six out of ten points ahead of their husbands. <laughs> so, I don't know. These guys have a talent for punching above their weight. All right. So let's move on to the next Good Charlotte album. And this one really is a big departure from everything you've heard thus far. So you got a picture. The year is 2007, and this is the year that dance punk bands like The Killers are really, really big. And apparently, Joel and Benji felt that they had something to contribute to this trend because they completely revamped their sound for Good Charlotte's fourth album, Good Morning Revival. I, I did like that more than the, the previous two songs. I actually like do kind of like this album. Like it's really silly and it's just not what you would have expected just from listening to that first album. But it's like my only issue with it, honestly, is Joel's voice. Yeah, I, I think he's just too whiny for the style, but uh, the music was fine. Yeah, he's got to carry it a little bit more, but it's kind of fun, actually. Like they somehow pull it off. Um So the background on this is the band took like a little tiny break between like 2004 and 2007 in like 05 and 06. Joel and Benji spent a lot of time DJing at parties just to kind of try that out. And that kind of inspired the the dance feel for this album. And then also they had gotten a new drummer, uh, Dean Butterworth, who will will be the the permanent drummer for Good Charlotte here on out. I say I, I did notice that the drumming was solid there. Yeah, yeah, you got to do that, that little disco. T- yep, t- and that's that's not easy. I mean, if you're a trained studio musician, it's easy, but it's that's tougher than the pop punk beats they were doing up till now. Yeah, for sure. 
And, and uh, I want to share with you another song from this album. And this one is like, to me, a little bit on the sillier end of the spectrum. Uh, it's called Keep Your Hands Off My Girl. Nick, nothing says punk rock more than listing a bunch of name brand clothing and then dropping your <laughs> own brand in the song. That's the spirit of punk rock for sure. Yeah, you know, it's like, you know, what's what's more punk rock than talking about Louis Vuitton and Dior and <laughs> Chanel? Like fucking straight out of Sid Vicious right there. Dude, yeah, that, that got back. That was the first thing I think we've listened to that was so bad it's kind of fun. It is, yeah. Like I... This is a guilty pleasure for me. This this whole album, like, and it just and there's a lot of songs that just sound like that, like really silly, ridiculous lyrics with like these dance punk beats that are so 2007. All I know is next time someone starts like you know flirting with Jessica a little too much at the bar, mm-hmm. I'm gonna run up and go ah, because ah, ah, that's definitely like a war cry. Yeah, well, there's not gonna fuck with you if you got brass knuckles hanging from your neck and your chain <laughs> you see this dcma clothing <laughs> that means i'm badass his hands will be off your girl immediately his hands will be fucking up in the air yep. uh yeah so that's it's a silly album but i don't hate it as much as i it's or it's i find it more interesting than chronicles of life and death i'll i'll put it that way and um in terms of performance uh, this album debuted at number seven on the Billboard charts. It sold uh, only around three hundred thousand copies, um, huh. which which is le- which is another step down. But but that is kind of weird because I feel like some of those songs were actually like bigger than I think. Than I our... remember the first one. Yeah. Like, once we listened to that chorus, I was like, I swear I've heard this floating around. And uh, from what I've dug into, like a lot of good Charlotte fans seem to like actually like this one. So I don't know. It's weird. Like, yeah, maybe it's just like this is 2007 and nobody's making money anymore. Yeah, it it lands squarely in that era where we were all just downloading music. Yeah. And I also got to warn you guys, like this represents the last good Charlotte uh, album or musical era that i even can pretend to like like from here on out it's all gonna be like just straight mediocre schlock all right hey that's that's our zone man that's, that's what our, we like yeah. this is one like this is one the 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 turdiness of this podcast just starts to heat up so get ready folks and um if you can mark any one point where good charlotte really starts to jump the shark I would argue that it is in 2008 
when they put out uh, their remix album, Greatest Remixes. This is never good. Like, I just, I can't think of, yeah, maybe Linkin Park. That's the only band I can think of where the remix album was actually good and respected. But there's, but there's not many others, not, not especially for rock bands that I can think of where a remix album comes out and it's anything other than a joke and a total cash grab. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, if you're one of the 12 people who bought Good Charlotte's <laughs> Greatest Remixes, perhaps you'll feel a little bit of nostalgia here. But for the rest of you guys, we are going to play the uh, remix of Little Things by... Patrick Stump. <laughs> That's not encouraging. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. That was actively grating. Yeah, like why? Why why did that need to exist? Do you remember in our Christmas special when you were talking about how the crazy frog song was a waste of plastic? Yeah. This is down there with that for me. This guy booked studio time for this. And you know, some engineer had to like waste part of his day. You know, he could have been out getting donuts, enjoying the L.A. sunshine. And right. He's like trying to mix the like shrill fucking levels on this. So just so you guys know, like it's a short clip, but the entire thing sounds like that. I hope you like two minutes of. Yeah. And, and just like, why? Why did you who is going to hear that and think like, oh, that's much better than the original <laughs> little things. <laughs> it's it's so weird. So in 2010, Good Charlotte returned with uh, a- another real album, uh, their fifth studio album, Cardiology. You get it, Cal, because uh, it's about matters of the heart. Oh, so, cardiology. okay. <laughs> now, a lot of critical reviews of this album describe it as a sort of back to basics uh, return to the band's pop punk roots. And I- I'm just not feeling that. Um, let's, uh, let's hear the lead single off this album and you can, you can judge for yourself how back to basics it is. Something, something that is no good. Now I'm not saying that she's cheating, 
let her get away with one on her birthday, but this time <laughs> she was acting like it was her birthday, and two times a year is just too much. Yeah, and you know, and like, I mean, if this is true, he's talking about Cameron Diaz like <laughs> acting like a slut. So it's a oh, bit weird. Man. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I don't know who they paid to call that back to basics, but. Uh, <laughs> We got our first millennial whoop of this uh, series, Cal. Yeah, like, that's, okay. That's a milestone. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I, I will admit that not all of the songs on Cardiology are that bad. Like, sometimes, uh, you know, they are, like, a little bit closer to, like, the, not not punk, but, like, the alternative, like, emo kind of stuff that they were doing in the mid-2000s. But in a sense, it is back to basics with that particular song because, the basics of this band is pop music and it is following whatever trends are going on. So doing a, Hey, 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 yeah, that's okay. That, that's fair. That is basically what uh, these guys are willing to do in order to have a radio hit. But this, this whole album, like it's just fucking boring. And yeah. And that, that's going to be a theme for the rest of this episode. Yeah. I, I'm with you. It's, it's, it's not any more offensive than anything we've listened to up so far. It's just there's nothing there that keeps you into it. Yeah, I get just the, these guys have they're they're starting to run out of steam and hunger and inspiration and whatever it was that drove them to make like fun songs like the anthem or little things like it's just it's not there anymore. Mm-hmm. But uh, before we move away from cardiology, I want to take a look at a deep cut on this album. There's a song called Right Where I Belong, which lyrically and musically is straight Christian rock. I'm not kidding. Let's take a listen. Yeah, that, that could have been on like a fucking Christian radio station, couldn't it? Yeah. Store brand you too. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to like slag them too much for this. Uh, you know, like they, yeah, these guys at their best are writing true to life lyrics. And this is something that animates them. And, you know, like, and it's, it doesn't, it's not something that I can relate to, or maybe you can relate to mm-hmm. Cal. No, nope, not even a little, sorry. <laughs> you know, but the reason I bring this up is because this is a big part of who these guys are. And I feel like nobody else really talks about it. Like you don't read in biographies of good Charlotte that they're like serious Christians, but they are, they, Mm -hmm. they just like, and maybe it's what helped get them through, you know, every, every 
like little hardship that they have. Yeah. Maybe it's what helped him seduce 16 year old Hillary Duff. <laughs> you know, it's like, I just really feel that like God wants us to make out right now. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but no, like, it's just like, this is, there's, there's this Christian undercurrent to, to, to good Charlotte. And if you're, if you're trying to paint a picture of them, you can't really ignore that shade. So, uh, and whether you consider it back to basics or not, cardiology was not the comeback hit that Good Charlotte had been hoping for. And in this case, it sold just 52,000 copies. Oh, which is, See, now we're getting bad. Yeah, now we're get, starting to get into kind of the uh, embarrassing territory. Yeah, I mean, if you're an artist that has at one point sold 3.5 million on a record, this is a tough pill to swallow, I bet. Yeah. And so, um, like, basically after they were done touring for this album, they announced uh, an indefinite hiatus and uh, you could see why like they would just want to step back at this point by most, by this point, like most of these guys uh, were in their thirties. A lot of them were having kids by this point. And like, they're just like, like I said, they were just running out of steam. Yep. I watched this interview where Joel Madden claimed that like he reached a point where he wanted to be anonymous like he wanted to like just move into like some small town and like like work in a coffee shop and have nobody know who he was. That's like the he's come full circle then. You know, you're a kid and you want everyone to know who you are cuz you're so amazing. Yeah. You get old and you realize like I am just a guy and I am tired. Yeah, this is this is not what I wanted. <laughs> yeah, but during this time they didn't they weren't like just totally off in the woods. Uh they did a lot of production and writing for other artists. Um they uh, did some writing and production for Five Seconds of Summer on their debut album, and that was a, a big hit and also very schlocky, poppy rock that yep. I have absolutely no interest in. But like these guys, they have their finger on the pulse mm-hmm. you know, a lot more than, than you might think. Um, they also apparently appeared as vocal coaches on the Australian version of The Voice. I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't think I'd want my coaching from Joel and Benji at it. Like they don't, I don't hold them up as amazing vocalists. No, no. But, uh, but apparently, you know, apparently it's good enough for the Aussies. I guess they're a strange breed, man. <laughs> they like really, they clung to black eyed peas and, uh, and they, they really clung to these guys. It seems just the fact that Bon Scott got famous singing the way he did <laughs> yeah. is, is proof. <laughs> During this uh, kind of hiatus period, uh, the Madden Brothers also did a kind of a low-key side project that kind of uh, features their more kind of mellow pop rock side of their personality. And this side project was called, appropriately enough, Madden Brothers. Um, <laughs> so, you know, they they did this record. They made a video for it, but I'm sure that you guys are going to be the first to hear it. So, <laughs> so we're going to play a song uh, by Madden Brothers called Dear Jane. Now, dear Jane, yeah, I'm writing to say that we're no good. 
I'm glad we're almost done with these guys, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, surprisingly, that did not top the charts. <laughs> like, I would, like, why did they like really feel the need to like do that? They made a video for that and everything. Maybe Joel just he doesn't realize he's not Adam Levine and <laughs> they're not Maroon Five. I mean, if Good Charlotte is Backstreet Boys meets Minor Threat, that's like. A Backstreet Boys B-side meets like the hold music for Verizon. <laughs> I don't know. I just I don't want to be too mean, but like it's 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 not very good. All right, but lest you think that we're done with these guys, in the year 2015, Good Charlotte suddenly reemerged from oblivion to drop their quote-unquote comeback album, Youth Authority. Oh shit. Now, this album actually got pretty good reviews, and a lot of fans seem to like it, but I gotta admit, Cal, I'm just not that impressed. Uh, I, I I don't get it. Uh, to me, the songs on this album are overproduced and lacking in any memorable hooks. Like, same story as Cardiology. Um, so I'm honestly just gonna gloss over it because it's just not interesting enough even to talk about. I am not complaining. <laughs> And then uh, in uh, 2018, because American Life just wasn't shitty enough by that point, <laughs> they came out with uh, their most recent album, Generation RX. And I got to say, folks, I think uh, this is the absolute nadir of their career, with with the exception of the greatest remixes. It might be a half step above that. But um, let's hear a cut from Generation RX, and then we'll uh, share our thoughts. All right. It's always tough to watch uh, these artists that come up in these kind of the angst scene we grew up in. Yeah. It's just tough to watch them try and make music now because you know they're older than us and they're still trying to write lyrical content aimed at like 16 year olds. Yeah. Life is so much pain. It's like you're a grown ass man. It's it's hard. Like just, you know, I went through a breakup recently and I'm I can't get as pissed off as he sounded and as angsty as he sounded in that song, yeah. you know? It's just... well, and even in even in the most painful moments, I don't think a mature brain is thinking about it this way. Yeah. So much pain like you know, we're you're able to step back more and be like, "Hey, how did we get here?" You know, you can think better about it. Yeah. Yeah, so that is 
that is like the really embarrassing part of this is like you know, they could sell it much better on like the chronicles of life and death because they're still young enough by that point that 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 makes sense for them but like they like, come on you got like a 10 year old at home right <laughs> like, and even he's like come on dad a little, <laughs> little immature here and then part of the problem is that just like sonically this album falls for all the like really shitty production gimmicks that you hear in like every alternative rock uh, sounding thing nowadays it just it sounds sonically like crap to me yeah i I agree uh now like the idea behind this album like it's probably the most like serious thing they've ever attempted it's called generation rx and supposedly it's a commentary on the opioid crisis in america you know which okay you know that's fair enough it's an issue serious stuff it's a real issue and it's it's a much darker album than probably anything they'd they'd done before there is one song i kind of like lyrically not musically but it's called prayers and basically it just tries to deconstruct the whole as we listen to sorry you might hear cal's dog in the back as no it's we're we're dogs your little little poodle that you're taking (laughs) um yeah basically he's trying to deconstruct the whole thoughts and prayers meme that props up anytime there's a school shooting or or anything like that. And given that we know that these guys are actually religious and, you know, maybe take their religion more seriously than like, like most quote unquote Christian artists, like Mm -hmm. you can really start to see where they're coming from. And I, I appreciate that for real. And then the other thing I do like about this album is it's only like 30 minutes long. Oh yeah. You get through it pretty quick. Yeah. You know, even with good punk, that's about the right length. Yeah. Oh, for sure. You know, it, I don't think a punk album should be much longer than ever, ever 40 minutes. One of the absolute best albums in punk history was Bad Religion Suffer. And that's like 26 minutes long, yep. but it feels like just a like an epic masterpiece. Yep. Now, neither Youth Authority nor Generation RX sold particularly well, but, you know, they just they seemed like they did just enough to put Good Charlotte back into the public consciousness. And this came just in time for millennials uh, like us to start feeling old and nostalgic. And in the past couple of years, we've seen like a resurgence of interest in pop punk and emo. And I'm not happy to see it, but like, it's just like, it's, it's an inevitable fact of life is that like people are just going to become nostalgic for whatever was popular way back when. And as time, as this tradition, you know, now that we've covered them, I predict like no sooner than two weeks after part two comes out, (laughs) some good Charlotte headline will hit. Yeah. They're, they're, they're going to, they're going to be part of some major thing or another. And in fact, uh, you know, later this year, they are going to be playing at the uh, When We Were Young Festival. You know, I I looked in to see if this was even real after you <laughs> oh, after real. I read this. It I is was real, like, Holy my brother. Fuck. No, like you're gonna see if you want to see some 38 year old milfs in uh, mascara, go to Las Vegas in October, where uh, Good Charlotte is gonna be playing. Um, also. Green Day, Blink-182, Yellow Card, Rise Against, Sum 41, Newfound Glory, The Fucking Offspring are going to be there. It's funny because, you know, high middle school me would have shit his pants at this oh, lineup. Oh, yeah, that, that was that I would have sold my dream. soul to go to this. I know, but like, it's, yeah, it's just, it's a fucking $2,000 nostalgia fest <laughs> for elder emo millennials. All right, so there you go, guys. That's Good Charlotte.
you know, um, to close this out, I once read a quote from Benji that said, uh, okay, you got to do this, Kelly, because you're, you're Benji now. <laughs> I just realized. We're called Good Charlotte, not Great Charlotte. The truth is we're pretty average. And that essentially is my read on this band. They're average. They write songs with competent pop hooks, but they never really had the chops to become a mainstay like Green Day or Blink-182. But when it really comes down to it, I don't think that Joel and Benji really wanted to be those guys. I mean, they probably did at first, but once they got to the big leagues, they probably realized that all those rich and famous celebrities were actually complaining about something real. Mm -hmm. But then the twins did something interesting. They sunk their hooks into the business end of music. They did this first with Dead Executives, the production team that we uh, talked about earlier. Later on, they founded MDDN. Or I guess Madden is how <laughs> you're supposed to it. pronounce it. MDDN or Madden is a marketing management company which works with numerous successful artists. And in 2020, they even launched an app called Veeps, which helps artists live stream their own shows. In short, the Madden brothers have created a hidden empire without any of us even knowing. So, like, they're doing okay. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter if Good Charlotte sells records because these guys have a, a bunch of, like, fucking businessy, you know, esoteric things that I'm sure are making money. Yep. The smart celebrities invest their their winnings wisely. And uh, a lot of these uh, artists that are under the Madden label are, like, kind of like younger artists that, you know, I've never heard of. I'm sure some of our younger folks have heard of. But among their artists in the repertoire is Anti-Flag who are a legit, like, yep. real punk band that I held very dear back in the early 2000s. And the and they're, and they're teamed up with Good Charlotte. So <laughs> You can't escape. I guess, yeah, they, they got one, uh, one actual good fish in there. Now, earlier this year, the world's first punk rock museum opened in Las Vegas, Nevada. The project was founded by Fat Mike, the frontman from NoFX, and a man whose punk credentials are unquestioned. And yes, this museum does include a space for good Charlotte. Now, if 16-year-old Nick could have heard this, he probably would have had a meltdown at this unforgivable blasphemy. But as a world-weary, cynical adult, I can live with it. Good Charlotte may not align with my take on punk values, but in an environment where everything is eventually subsumed by capitalism, <laughs> who can? Like, who really fucking can be a true punk rocker in 2023? No, it, completely impossible. And I guess uh, what I want to close out with is at least Good Charlotte made some people feel something. And they never started any hate mobs in the process. <laughs> That's where the bar is. That's don't where... stoke the fires of racism. Yeah. You're fine. Yeah. Don't like actively promote fascist propaganda <laughs> and you're okay in our books. <laughs> all in all, it's the little things. All right. <laughs> all right. Uh, that is our good Charlotte series. Thank you so much for uh, paying attention, for listening to us, downloading us. Give us a five-star rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts if you haven't already. Um, if you haven't, you're a total fucking poser, worse than Joel and Benji on their worst day. Yeah. Uh, and uh, just remember that gratitude is always on trend.
Okay, now, yeah? John, wait a minute. Yeah. Is, is this just me or does Joel look like he's 47 years old? <laughs> and he's going to, okay, maybe I, it's just me. Maybe I don't know. Me. We got one more story, though. Okay, go Hillary, ahead, go Still ahead. Hillary Sorry, type. Hillary-related news. 